All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd first like to thank our sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Box, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and even Strokes for all their incredible support. As without them, none of this would be possible. All right, for this episode, we've got another cracker with David Hogan of We're Always Moto, backed by popular demand to talk about all things injury. After the first pod we did was so well received, obviously with David being a fully qualified physiotherapist, his insight is definitely a welcome addition to the moto media landscape with his considerable knowledge and thoughtful approach to the topic that often gets overlooked to a degree. Given the fans a unique look into this massive, massive part of the sport that's just so prevalent and every week there's something going on. So yeah, thanks for joining us, David. And uh, how's life, mate? Yeah, no, thanks for the intro, mate. Um, yeah, really good, Ed. Um, obviously, since we last spoke, I'm I'm getting better and better on my recovery of my own injuries. Um, finally seeing a dirt bike roll out of the shed with me on top of it, you know, which is always a good thing. Um, but yeah, no, look, there's been some a lot happened since we last spoke in terms of uh, injuries and just, yeah, funny how it never seems to stop in our sport because like I say all the time injuries are a part of moto. It's an unfortunate thing, but it just seems to happen every week. Yeah, and how is your own recovery going, mate? It's uh, you feeling almost back to a hundred percent. And how was that first ride uh, back out there? Well, the first ride was that mental block that you just have, where you're like, "Am I? Should I be doing this? Should I be going this fast? That's a tree. That's a jump. That's a rut. That's got a big hole in it." Blah. So no, it was it was good, but it, yeah, I had to get that one out of the way. It was only a short one, and then the second one was much better. Um, yeah. But no, the recovery's been really good. Up until probably the other uh, about a week ago, and I, you know, just playing with the kids, managed to uh, just stick that arm out and have it just yanked back in a direction I wasn't prepared for, and gave me a little reminder that I'm probably not a hundred percent yet. But other than that, I'm doing really well. <laughs> yeah, almost bulletproof, mate. But um, and also just for the fans that missed the first one, just give us a little sort of backstory to you and um, what you do, and um, yeah, just how you got into covering the sport and the way you do, because it's certainly fascinating and you, you can tell you're really passionate about doing it yeah and no, i've been in the sport for ages I, i've uh, been riding and racing since i was about six years old which is about 30 years ago unfortunately um so you know getting up getting up there in the numbers but um yeah look been a physio for uh what is it uh 13 years or something now i can't even remember now I'm losing track of these things and in exercise sciences before that, and just, I've always loved the sport, always loved the the human body and the aspects of trying to get it to perform better and always injured as a kid. So I ended up seeing physios myself and just followed that pathway. But in terms of the actual, you know, being in the media as such for the moto side of things, it's one of those things you're just watching something and thinking, how is you, how is it you're saying that about that particular injury? You know, nothing about that and you clearly can't articulate it. So I'm going to try and do it better. And here we are. I'm talking to you, and this is the second time around. And people like the hearing the injury side of things. It's an unfortunate part of it, but I just try to make it as uh, well. It's not really entertaining, but you try and make a bit light of it sometimes. But yeah, just try and fill in the gaps as to where your ride has gone and why and for how long. So it's, that's where we've got to. Yeah, people definitely love hearing about it. So we're glad that was the catalyst, mate. And um, yeah, you sh- shed a lot of light and shining a lot of light on this on this topic. And um. Yeah, it's just cool seeing what you're doing. Obviously, you're so passionate and, and the views and the traction on your stuff is actually really skyrocketing at the moment, mate. So good to see another Aussie doing well. It's just good to see you're succeeding and, and making some really real good strides in the industry, mate. So just tell us you know, where people can follow you, find you, view your content, read your content, because uh, it's out there everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, trying to be a bit of everywhere, you know, the everywhere man. But um, 
no, we've had some good traction and appreciate you noticed those things, mate. Um, we've, we've got some, uh, pretty good views on the last few videos on our YouTube channel, which, and look, if you search always moto pretty much on YouTube, on, on your favorite, um, podcast player, you'll find something from us. Same on your favorite social media platform. And we also put together a written version of this most weeks, um, for, um, over on fullnoise.com.au. So few places we try to be everywhere and obviously trying to be a part of these things when you give us the opportunity here on mx vice which is awesome no mate we're happy to happy to have you join us and uh take time out of your schedule but uh and also the american listeners they'll be able to see you in person soon at uh redbud won't they mate yeah we've got the trip planned we've pretty much got uh just a couple of days before we get on the plane it's actually a week we'll be on the plane so yeah i'm really looking forward to being at redbud one because it's redbud um, but two, just to sort of go around and I've been obviously talking to a lot of these guys from a distance now, you know, with the, with the coverage, just to finally, you know, shake a hand, put a face to the name and go, Hey, you know, let's, let's, let's get some more information out of this and, and, and show some more people what's going on. So yeah, really looking forward to meeting a lot of the contacts we've been talking to in the teams and just, yeah, just seeing what Red Bud is all about in the person. Cause it looks awesome on TV as most people know, but um, yeah, pretty excited about being there on the ground for a change. Yeah, mate, hopefully uh, you, have, you have a great time and you don't get too much uh, blowback from some of the teams about your comments on their PRs and their the injury coverage, mate. So give us a, a bit of a rundown on your thoughts on that. Yeah, look, the the, the PRs, as my last uh, little Dave's diatribe that I do on my, my YouTube and podcast things, it just sort of frustrates me. And that's why I got into this, like we said before, is that they, they put out these updates and particular team PRs, I've noticed a couple of them, they almost just forget that they've got that rider on the team. They don't list it. That rider got injured that weekend. Let's just not mention him anywhere in our coverage of what happened this past weekend because he's, you know, he's almost dead to us, you know? So it's sort of frustrating that he doesn't get a mention or that they just say, oh, it's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll update you more on his, on his status, you know, soon. And you never hear anything about it ever again until they turn back up at the track. And that could be months down the, down the, down the road. So yeah, I just try to provide that insight and, and get get a bit more coverage. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of people that haven't been been thrilled on the on the me reaching out to them, but look, they're they're a professional sport. They are in front of people competing, like any other professional sport. People want to know everything about what's going on with them. Unfortunately, that means they want to know what they injured and how long they're going to be out for. And that's I'm just providing that information. So. It's not really any, we're not giving away their, you know, their inside leg measurements or anything, you know, it's, it's just what, what happened to them on the race day. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's absolutely, with the sport being so small, it's kind of, you know, the riders, you know, most of them are really good, aren't they? Like, you know, you think they want to know, get people to know just to keep their name relevant and, you know, in the spotlight because it is such a small sport and the coverage is still so minimal compared to mainstream sports and, um, just talking about the actual sheer volume of injuries because there's just massive amounts this year and you you keep a sort of tally of all that, don't you, mate? So just sort of give us the stats um, by the numbers in 2023. How's it all shaping up? Yeah, look, it's been a rough year. Supercross was insane. Uh, I think it ended up at about eight or nine injuries per round um, as a total across the whole season, which is just stupid. Um, and obviously the end of the season there caught out a bunch of our top level guys, which has now then made the outdoors seem like, in terms of the AMA side of things, seem like a little bit of a snoozer and a bit easy for a particular Aussie boy out front. But um, you know, you can only compete with who's turned up on the line, but yeah, so that, that number was, was massive in terms of supercross. but so far through the four rounds in the AMA outdoors, we've had 19 injuries, which is 
pretty high as well. So it's about just under that five injuries per round, which, you know, that's, that's insane considering we have, we're missing all these guys already and we're still getting this many injuries and then obviously reducing the field further. It is giving plenty of opportunities to the guys further back if they can stay healthy, but they're adding themselves to the list at times too. So. Yeah. And what do you think are sort of some of the key contributing factors, obviously bad luck and misfortunes, uh, a big one in motocross. It's just sometimes wrong place, wrong time. And just by nature, it's just so, so dangerous. Every time you sit on the bike, you're, you're in for, you know, anything can happen really, isn't it? But, um, you know, that's why people love it. And just say, have you got anything that uh, needs to be sort of tightened up Your track prep, obviously in, in MXGP, obviously there's been a lot of conversations about that with, there's just no time in a day really um, on race day with four different classes running and, you know, the terrain obviously not conducive for the dozers and the machinery to get everywhere if they're super hilly and two two minute plus tracks there's just not enough time to fit the racing in and do the, the necessary work so is that definitely something you think is is a catalyst for it and um, any solutions from your end yeah obviously we've you know moving to these sort of shorter formats and trying to fit as many different events in as they can you know yes the the MXGP still do the two day format, but there's on that, that main race day, it's so jam packed with all the main events that don't have that time. And like you said, a two minute long track time, that's a couple of kilometers or miles, depending on what scale we're talking in. So you can't get a tractor, a tractor or a, an excavator that goes at a, you know, a snail's pace around that track in any length of any speed and actually do the right thing. So yes, that is a massive aspect, but not sure how you change that without, reducing the race times which obviously people don't want to do because then that takes away from the the core of the sport but i think there's and and i've been coming around to this a lot more in recent times there's a skill in the fact of making it through all these rounds and i think that the focus has been shifted to how fast you can do a lap rather than how you can maintain your speed over the whole entire race and over the entire weekend and the, the entire series because these guys just don't seem to be thinking that way. And that's why they're all disappearing and potentially missing out on thousands of dollars, good results, you know, better rides, because if they were there and put that stuff in, yes, a fifth might not seem as great as a third or a second or a first, but if you get 10 fifths across the season versus 10 DNFs because you, or, you know, you didn't show up even because you're injured. I think that's better in the long run, isn't it? Yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up there, mate, because obviously you look at someone like Jorge Prado, who, you know, his height is extremely high. He just when he wins, he can just make it look so easy. But on those weekends where he's not feeling it, he knows how to manage it so well. And I think, you know, it's a testament to what you're saying. And it's an interesting one because obviously blokes, when you race, you, you obviously want to go as do as well as possible and race hard. But I suppose there is the option of, you know, you look at the track on the last two tracks in AMA, the last track, the last round of MXGP at uh Germany and Tuchentel, big ruts, you know, really testing tracks. And, you know, the riders want to be challenged as well, but they want to go fast too. So it's just such a fine balance and you see someone like Prado mastering it. So it's probably your, your you would say it's more of a, a rider approach than maybe say racing too much would be more of a problem. Yeah, it's that individual approach to that event. And like you just said, those races recently have been deep ruts and you've got to take a different approach to that. If you're not comfortable in that scenario, you can't just go hell for leather and pin it you've got to actually take an approach that gets you through the end of that event and able to turn up at the next one. Like what's the point of all this? If you're just going to throw yourself on the ground at that brace, because you thought one position was better because if I hold it on a bit longer through this corner, 
I'll pass that guy, but then I won't actually I'll crash in the next corner because I got there too quick and I couldn't stop in the 20 ruts that are now there. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. There's a skill, like I said, it's a skill to make it the whole season and you've got to actually do the training program, the 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 pre- preparation and the mindset for that whole thing, not just today's yeah. event. How do I get on the box for today's event? It's got to look at the big picture. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And it's like obviously it's a it's a it's not just race management, it's it's career program, everything management. And you see, like, and it's not easy. Um, for people like you look at the Star Yamaha guys, they're just battling it out every day in training against each other. And that's sort of a little bit of a fight for supremacy, uh, you know, in training during the week as well as the racing. So that brings, you know, and obviously blokes, they want to, you know, they never want to lose, you know. So it's you, you look at guys like probably Cooper Webb and they've kind of mastered the fact that they're not going to be the fastest in training, but they're, they're ready. They're Sunday men, as they say, in road racing. You know, they're ready for action when the gate drops, when it really matters. So probably instilling that into anyone's not easy. It just takes time and years and experience, doesn't it? It does. And like that comes sort of to the fact that those guys that are sticking around a bit longer, that maturity of their age is helping that side of things. But you got to think of, go back to guys like, you know, Caroli and Dungey, where they had barely any injuries across their whole careers and because of that their their fitness progressed year on year their bike skill progressed year on year their their rides and their their probably their salaries progressed year on year because they were out and on the track all the time marketable finishing events it and it look how many career how many championships those guys and race wins those two guys have across the different sides of the globe it works obviously you just got to be able to figure that pattern out and not just throw it away on the first corner on the first race that you do so yeah for sure it's about getting that base body of working and just being there and because you know once the guys are there and they figure that out you know you can see what 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 it can bring to your career you know so and i know another topic that's sort of pretty close to your heart mate is the concussion protocol um your thoughts on that mate and any changes that need to be implemented you believe yeah, look, there was one recently, and I sort of mentioned about it on, I think it was on my last um, YouTube show, that the uh, Brighton Carroll got a concussion. I think he was in that first, yeah, it was in that first turn crash in the 450 class at um, Hangtown. And he, that's all good. He had the concussion. He was on the protocol. He followed the process right through. But the AMA protocol, at least, is a five-day return to ride program, which then generally takes that six days because you can't start it until the you know, till the Monday sort of thing. Um, once you've been cleared by your GP, depending on the severity of the symptoms you're seeing at that point. But the part that he, like he passed it all, that's fine. He rode the next week at Thunder Valley. The part that irks me is then when he puts his update out and it says that he had some issues with, you know, concentration, with focus. Um, those things tell me that he maybe wasn't completely clear of the symptoms because obviously as his heart rate's elevated throughout that moto, it's gotten worse. And so what's, what's been passed that's let him get out to that point and find these things out. Obviously there's a hole in our protocol as to that. It, it let him get to that point. And I would think I would like to see, and I've mentioned this before that at least have a one race medical stand down it, maybe it's a one week. So you have to miss that one, the next race, if it's within a week, if it's a two week block, well, that's different, but it should be just a tiny bit longer. So you can't just turn up to the race the very next weekend and find those things out like Brighton Carroll did because um, that's that's not the way this should be going because if he then has those symptoms while he's racing that next motor and has another crash where he lands on his head, we're in that second concussion symptom syndrome situation. Potentially that's 
uh, you know, in extreme cases that can be fatal, unfortunately. And we don't want any of that sort of stuff happening. Yeah, it's such a tough thing to come back from too. And you really want to feel 100% when you do it. But obviously these guys, they're racers and they don't want to miss around either. So it's it's just such a tough conundrum for people. And you hear like dudes that have had a concussion. I think we spoke to JT recently and he said, you know, he had one and he and he did the time off. He did the time, did everything. And then a couple of weeks later, he had just a really basic minor spill and it just triggered it all over again. Just some of those, you know, dizziness and things like that. So it's just a really hard thing to manage, isn't it, mate? And just for riders to get their confidence back after those things, it's another challenge in itself, isn't it? It, it is. The confidence aspect is massive post-concussion because you, you're not clear in your mind afterwards. You can't remember. In a lot of cases, you can't remember why the crash occurred because the concussion then blanks that part out. You get the amnesia aspect. But yeah, that that what you mentioned just there about what JT said, I've had a similar situation in my own racing and I'm not you know pro or anything, but I had a concussion one week, managed to get myself cleared for the next race the next week. And so I did exactly this. And that's why I sort of speak on it because I know what's happened. But I did that race and I dead set can't tell you anything about that weekend. Even now, years later, I can't tell you what I did or didn't do. I have no idea what, what happened that weekend. But as soon as my heart rate elevated, I've got no idea about how we got to that event, how we came home from that event, what I did. And that's not a good thing. That shouldn't be possible. Um, yes, we all want to race, but that's not that's a one race weekend out of how many you could potentially do for the rest of your your life one weekend isn't going to kill you, but it could kill you if you turned up and had a, had another bump. You know what I mean? So that's super scary, isn't it? So do you think that obviously Chase Sexton, Mono and Concussion, they're, they're treating that pretty wisely, managing it intelligently then after hearing what you said? Yeah, definitely. Like the, the fact that he had that bump and, and this is where Concussion Protocol comes in again, because I feel there should be somebody monitoring those crashes throughout the day and going and checking them there and then because that crash that he had at Parler in qualifying, you watch that. He impacts his head. It's a bit of a whiplash into the ground, but he impacts his head and he took some time getting up and and it didn't all look right. And somebody should have seen that. It was on the coverage for Christ's sake. Like somebody could see that coverage and go and say, look, let's do a concussion protocol on you now. If you pass it, great. If you don't, we'll be sitting down. But the fact that then he had, his, then I think it was Tuesday that, that, that week after the race, so what, three days, four days, he has another one that tells me that he shouldn't have been on track then either. Like he should have been on protocol beforehand, but yes, they're doing the right thing. Now they're taking the time, which is great. I just wish that that didn't get to that point where he had the second one in, in the first instance, he should have been monitored from that first point at parlor. Yeah, great insight, mate. And um, are you hopeful of uh, seeing him at red, Bud, I bet. Yeah, look, ideally he's back by then. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll go and have that conversation with him direct and see what he thinks. And maybe we won't report on that one. We'll see what he says afterwards. <laughs> nah, it should be it should be a cracker, mate. It's always, you know, one of the best rounds in the world motocross calendar, that one. It should be an absolute belter. And obviously to speak on this weekend, obviously we've had Justin Cooper's horrific crash, really violent impact um, handlebars. You see the photos, um, you know, the swelling and the bruising definitely looked like a nasty one. Would you say that he should be back for red butt and you'd think there'd be a bit of concussion associated with that too, wouldn't you? Well, that's something that like, I don't think the protocol covers right now, but yes, he should potentially be on that at this stage. He might be, there's no talk of that, but yeah, I would think that that would be one that triggers something that he gets at least looked at and has to do the online assessment. Right. But the team has put out that they expect, or I don't know if they said expecting, but they indicated that he would be back for red butt, which is only two weeks away. 
the fact that he was in hospital and had to wait for his, the swelling in his throat to go down so that he could, you know, breathe safely is a scary thing. But that neck injury, like that whole front of the, of the throat area there, it's unprotected from any gear. It's also unprotected from any musculature that's over the top. It's, it's all superficial structures, your windpipe, your vo- vocal cords, that cartilage that holds the windpipe and, and the vocal cords all apart is all really easy to be impacted there. And, you know, he'd probably be talking a bit husky for the next week or so, maybe longer. Like you got to think of someone like Kyle Chisholm with years back had a similar throat injury and he still talks like he's, you know, got gravel in his throat. And that's because that cartilage is still impacting onto the vocal cords. So these things happen to lots of people. A lot happens in a lot in like, you know, tackle um, contact sports. They end up with that same sort of thing. So yeah, be interesting to hear Justin Cooper talk in the next week or two and see if that voice is actually a bit bit different or not. Yeah, you'd definitely be expecting he won't be a hundred percent for that red butt, even though he's, you know, he would really want to be out there. The title massive dint to his uh, you know, title hopes that crash. So we want to see him out there as well, mate. But yeah, like you say, it's all about playing the long game sometimes, isn't it, with these things and um Another another man that's had an absolute shocker, really brutal injury with Jeremy Martin. Um, he's going to be out for a long time with that, isn't he, mate? It's uh, hard to watch that one. No, that was a nice Z shape uh, in the in the forearm as he went down, and the it already if you watch it closely, it broke as he impacted, and then obviously got run over. That just does not help anything at all, um, especially if it's already broken. It's just pushing things into different directions that it shouldn't go, but it can now because it's broken. So yeah. That's going to be ugly. Um, it's going to be a, a reasonable amount of time. The fact that he's got the wrist broken and the dislocated, like the elbow and the wrist dislocated and both broke in different manners. Yeah, it's a complicated thing because you're going to be immobilized from both side of things with the wrist and the elbow. So then getting the movement back into the two areas is going to be challenging. Getting strength back into the two areas at once is going to be challenging. The fact also too, like I heard um, Alex talking, his brother, Alex Martin, talking about the injuries on some other things this week about the compartment syndrome that went through and they had to leave his arm open for an extended period because they couldn't close it. That's all scary stuff at that early stages. And that doesn't then help the other end of the recovery because it slows down when it actually, when the body can actually start doing the natural healing processes, it delays that. So then it really changes the end, end time frame a lot. But yeah, that compartment syndrome aspect, they basically open it up. The damn thing swells so much that they can't actually sew you back together. If you ever got a zipper, you know, if you put on a bit of weight and try to get your pants done up and you can't reach it together, that's what's going on. You know, that's what's happening there with compartment syndrome. You can't get the zipper done up. So, well, that's nasty, mate. Would would you think there'd be thoughts of retirement sort of entering his mind, just knowing what's ahead and just how hard it is to get back to fighting these guys again, isn't it? That's the thing that always comes into everybody's head at, at, at a major injury. Like you always sit there on the couch and think, oh, what am I going? What am I going to do? Why should I go back to this? This is this is too much. This is this is the end. But then you roll around a few more weeks and you start to see it move and you start thinking, oh, maybe I could do this. And then sure enough, you you're there touching the motorbike in the garage and you're like, I reckon I could get on this. And it turns around. So look, it's too early to say, right? Like right now he's probably sitting in on the couch, you know just down at life and probably in that thought of I'm going to retire, but give him another month. And I'm sure the the conversation will be turning around. So, and I think he also, I think I heard somewhere that he'd also just signed on for an extended deal with club MX. So there is that in the background too, that he's already locked in. So I dare say we'll see him back, but it's not probably going to not be until next year, unfortunately. 
Yeah, for sure, mate. And another man that's probably sort of grappling with those thoughts is Eli Tomac, obviously, the, after the, the savage Achilles injury, which we spoke about the week before it happened. We were just sort of mentioning how all these guys were dropping like flies just after Cooper Webb's, you know, shocking accident. And then and then that Tomac one just came out of nowhere and caught everyone cold, didn't it, mate? So your thoughts on the Achilles and um, where do you think his future lies? Is he in or is he out? He's he's That was so just out of the blue. But for everybody that did one didn't realize that those things could happen, yes, they happen in moto. We actually had a few already this season, um, and we've got some comparison points, obviously, to see how long those have been going for. And Justin Rodbell was one that happened earlier on. Um, Vince Freeze has happened earlier on. They're both in sort of that November window. Um, they both sort of got back on the bike around that five, six-month mark. But then I think Freeze is going okay, but, but Rodbell's had some ongoing issues and not ready to be back competing yet so that's why we haven't seen him in the the nationals so far this year so that five six months mark sort of puts us right up to that that window of like october november when you want to be starting training and that's if everything goes really well for eli so there's a there's a lot to to look into this he was already talking about retiring he'd extended to do the motocross so that he could do the super motocross world series would you want to come back at this point? I don't know if you already were thinking about it. You don't have a deal in place. It's it's really interesting scenario for Eli. Like the injury was just terrible timing, obviously, but he had some risk factors probably already in there that not many people will know about because these things generally happen to guys in their thirties. Eli's in his thirties. Um, they don't necessarily have to be from a pre-existing injury. They can just be that the tissue, the tendon tissue, is actually just breaking down slowly over the course of a season. And obviously we're at that end point of the season. So he's probably a bit fatigued. Maybe there was some tendon breakdown and we're talking about that at more of like a, a really deep under a microscope level that you would notice this thing. It's not like you're going to see it on a scan or anything. So he wouldn't have known it was there. So there's a lot that went into that. And then obviously that just that tiny bit of shift back that he did. If you watch his video as, as the, as it comes into that jump, he shifts his foot just a tiny bit further back on the peg. And that was obviously just enough to load it more than it was capable of tolerating. And here we are talking about the fact that he's nowhere for the time being, and nobody's really seen any updates other than that fact that he had the surgery in, in Colorado. And that was the last time I really heard of him. And I'd love to find out where he's up to and where his thoughts are, but Eli's one of those closed books. He's not talking about the injuries. No, it's definitely a lot to consider for him, especially obviously after the dream year last year where he just won everything. So whether he feels he needs to achieve any more, he just wants to get back out there because we know he loves his racing and and just sort of switch and tack to another star racing guy, Guillaume Fares, obviously a shocker. Uh, another another you know broken humorous, which you found out um by doing some digging, talking to the team, and obviously Guadagnini and MXGP's done one of them. So yeah, time frame for recovery for them, mate. It looks like a pretty long road, doesn't it? They're a decent injury, yeah. Like uh, that is, you describe them as the the femur of the upper arm, right? Like that's the one where all the the base of support sort of comes from. Um, it's got the main main blood vessels going past it all. There's your brachial plexus coming out through that area under the arm and into the upper arm, but but there where all the nerves break out. So it's a pretty serious injury. It takes a fair bit of time. It's like like one they have to pretty much be operated on to to allow them to heal correctly. So there's you know there's six, eight weeks straight into that, but then you've got to actually get a decent amount of strength back in it before you can, you know, jump back into comp competition. So it's like 12 weeks plus depending on the location of the fracture. And, and again, like we were talking about with Jeremy Martin, how that early part of the rehab goes, is there any infections from the post-surgery? 
where they're able to close it up neatly and have the swelling controlled really nicely. So yeah, it's it's hard to tell early, but for both of those guys, it's ugly. Like if you saw um, the the right shot from the Ferrez crash in Thunder Valley, you can actually see that his arm is facing the wrong way. Like it's spun around. So yeah, they're pretty ugly. Yeah, it's nasty. And then obviously you contrast that with Tom Vial's arm injury, which obviously wasn't anywhere near as serious. And he obviously just sat out of moto from it. Um, that was obviously a wise decision looking back because he, uh, he rode pretty well on the weekend, didn't he? He did, which was good. Like that's a really nice example of where he realized that something wasn't right. Don't push it to the nth degree and make something worse or create another problem because you crash because you can't hold on. And then that one moto rest and obviously he did the right things during the week. Look what he did at, at high point. He, he ran pretty well. Um, he still hasn't quite got to that podium overall, but he's, he's damn close. And hopefully that means because he did the right thing there with that, look, obviously it was a sprained wrist, whether he's had these things before they're, they're minor, generally speaking, they hurt and they, they reduced grip strength there and then, but yeah, once you get a couple of days past it, things turn around reasonably well. So he did the right thing. Yeah. And just sort of, on the topic of arms, obviously we saw Iago hits, uh, break the arm, and then he was back, you know, very quickly, just a matter of weeks. And obviously Simon Langenfeld has broken his arm and he's going to be, you know, he did that just after Spain and he's going to be back in Indonesia this weekend for more reports. So it's incredible how quickly they can get these things uh, repaired and uh, to a level where they feel comfortable enough to race, mate. Well, one, it's incredible that they, they all seem to have a link to a surgeon that will basically drop everything and do the surgery the next day for them because any normal person out there would have to wait a couple of weeks to even see the specialist, let alone get operated on. So that's amazing. Obviously, the professional athletes, they've got these connections. That helps, right? But yeah, look, Yago Gears, I think it was three weeks I worked out that he was off like from one race to yep. back to the next. And he, his surgery was only two and a bit weeks to that point that he raced. That's ridiculous. Like for any normal human being out there, they're going to be in a cast post-op like that surgery for like four to six weeks at best. Plus then they got four to six weeks after that trying to get the hand to work properly. He's racing in three weeks. Like again, the, the moto guys are just another level of tough or stupid or both. Um <laughs> But like anybody else looking at this from a professional sport return time frame, is probably just blown away that that could be possible because all of that you think all that force that's coming through the front end as you're going into a corner off a jump you over jump something you case it how the hell did he do that I don't know but his results went fantastic let's be honest mm. at Tushintol and that's probably why he probably wasn't supposed to be out there. Yeah. but he was um but ideally he's obviously trying to get points to make out this championship and like i said it's a skill to finish these things he's 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 working the skill from the other side of it i think yeah he's keeping the dream alive mate and yeah but probably not the best track to be uh testing the arm out either she was pretty pretty hard rocky ruddy you know concrete and sections but um it was interesting seeing him and um Kai DeWolf obviously battling through the pain uh, valiantly in, in Germany. Obviously, Kai had that sort of leg ankle sort of sprain, I think it was. Obviously, okay for him to race, but you could tell he was suffering badly too, mate. So it's amazing what these guys put themselves through, isn't it? And would you say the painkillers uh, for that one, they'd be loading them in, wouldn't they? You would think so. Um, I don't know about the Yago's yeah. one. Like, he's come back from that and to be past clear to, to go ahead with that, you know, like he had to get the clearance from the, the FIM team. So I don't know whether they would have allowed him to have the, you know, the pain-killing shots, but definitely um, Kyder Wolf's one, they they probably would have. And, he, yeah, he probably would have had that, you know, juiced in right right before the, the start of that first moto. And 
hope that it lasted the day, but yeah, he didn't help himself by falling off um, there during the day either. So that wouldn't have been a, you know, that wouldn't have tickled. Yeah, they both had offs. It was a bit of a shocker for him, to be honest, mate. But I suppose at least like they got through unscathed, have the week off, and then hopefully be as prepared as possible for Indonesia. And yeah, great to hear what you had to say on that, mate. And I'm um, just getting back to America before we switch back again. Um, obviously the TLD Gas Gas guys are having no luck this year. Um, Moseman, Barsha, Brown, all out at the moment. Um, is your sort of insights under Barsha probably still a few weeks away from what we're hearing? And then with Moseman, it's looking like that shoulder is going to keep him out to SMX playoffs, maybe. And then the broken hand for Pierce Brown. Hope to be back in a couple of weeks, maybe to see you at Redbud, mate. But you never know with those ones, do you? No, well, Brown has a couple of things going on there. He had the hand, but he also had, he then got some work done to the, the knee that needed some cleanup as well. So he had two aspects to come back from, which can then just, it can't, you can't keep your fitness up so well because he wouldn't have been able to do the, you know, stationary cycling like he would have if it was just the hand. So he's probably got a little bit more involved with that one to get back to. And if he doesn't make it to Redbud, well, then <laughs> I heard somebody else say this. If you look after Redbud at Southwick, and that's not the one you want to return to. So, <laughs> I, it's just if you've missed this many rounds what's one more sort of thing to actually get yourself in a better position to come back to so that's probably what he'll be weighing up in the early parts of next week as to whether he gets on that flight to red Bud or not so yeah i have to see how that goes out for pierce but yeah the other guys um Barsha's one's an interesting one. The fact that he, his update about him laying in bed and he woke up and it was, you know, in pain and he had, and he rebroken the plate I don't know what he was doing in bed that night, but it wasn't anything. <laughs> so um, it's it's too you can't. You, I'm sorry, but that's not coming out that way. Like that's not breaking from, from that. So he's obviously had something go astray in the rehab process that's then led to that breaking out, and the fact that they then had to reoperate on that. As much as you can with the normal, if you did this the one time with a surgery to the correct the collarbone, you can sort of come back about that two to four week mark and be be okay. The fact that he then had to have those screws removed, reinserted potentially into different locations in the bone, he's now got multiple weak points throughout that bone that has to heal. He's going to be at least that full six-week recovery for the bone to go hard and fill in all the holes before he, should, before he would be a sensible return. But let's see what that plays out. But that would be my recommendation to him, wait a little bit longer. Um, so he might be back around that. Uh, when that have the Loretta break, which is around the Unadilla time. So that would make a use a, a nice timeline for him. Um, we'll have to see how that goes. And then, yeah, Michael Moseman, he's had a rough well, a couple of years now with, with different issues, but the shoulder has picked up and that's the end of his season. Like any sort of shoulder work is 12 weeks to get back. So he might get back to the October point for the Super Motocross playoffs. He might not be ready. So you have to watch this space and see how the recovery process goes. But it doesn't look great at this stage. Yeah, and just something we touched on last time was obviously the dislocated hips and, and you know, broken hips to a degree and the extent of, of them. And obviously with Christian Craig and Thrash having their hip injuries and Brett Van Donick, who I've recently spoke to before the, the race that that happened at. And he was, you know, really looking forward to Latvia and put in a good shift because he'd been building really nicely despite the fact the results um were reflected because he had a few bike issues and things but um yeah it's another shocker for him mate um yeah dislocated hips broken hips just so much force that they go through for that to happen isn't it and um time frames and key differences between you know the various types of hip injuries mate because they're not pleasant are they no, we said this before that like the, the dislocated hip is like the pregnancy for, for men, you know, like that's the sort of pain level that 
reportedly people go through for that. Luckily, I haven't felt that one myself, but I broke my hip. So, you know, we're close. Um, but yeah, those, those injuries could require a hell of a lot of force, usually from like a car accident where the dash, you know, your knee goes into the dash and it just pushes out the other end of your pelvis. So that's obviously a fair example of how much required force is required. So it's not pleasant. Um, I think we touched on on all this a little bit this before, so you can check out that last video, last uh, podcast with MX Vice if you want to hear more of it. But, but yeah, it's a massive injury. Um, depends, but too because you can obviously we talk about this with shoulders that they can dislocate and come out and go back in clean. It's just the force that pushed them out. So as long as they don't do any other damage, and when we say other damage, there's obviously a, a, a labral cup that's a soft sort of extension of the hip to make the cup like suction you into the, the joint to hold it in. But then there's also the bone as well that can get broken out as the, the bone comes out from the pelvis. So if none of those things happen, it can be sort of two or four weeks and you could be back, right? If it stays out for too long or you break any of those things, then it's going to be obviously longer. And sometimes that's where we end up out to the eight to 12 week mark, because obviously you've got the fracture aspect or you've got to have work done to the, to the labral cup. Um, or if the, the one that misses here sometimes too, is if, if the joint is dislocated from that femur point too long, there's actually a blood vessel that goes into the top of the ball. And if it's out and stretched too long, you can actually end up affecting the blood flow to that bone, which then can actually cause you know, bone death or necrosis of the, of the, of the femur and the femoral head. And then it becomes fragile and you can break it again when it, you know, early when you come back to activity because it's a lot weaker. So there's as much as we talk about these guys coming back and, you know, being amazing humans and fighting through pain, there is still these underlying things that can go wrong that maybe they don't understand all the values of that. Maybe just me and my medical brain just sort of pick on too much, but yeah, there's a lot to it. It's not as simple as it sounds, you know, just came out and went back in. It doesn't happen like that. Yeah. So we'd be thinking Craig and Thrasher would be just next season supercross. I'd imagine there's probably no point risking it at this point, isn't there? Well, Craig actually sounds like he's going to be back here at some point soon, which is he's actually, he was probably the lucky one in the hip dislocation side of things because it sounds like that wasn't an issue for him. He was up and wandering around in all of his vlogs that you see sort of that two week mark after the injury. And it's just been the elbow fracture that he got at the same time. That's been more of the problem. So yeah, he actually sounds like he was one of those lucky ones that just popped out and popped back in. So Oh, it's nasty, mate, isn't it? And um, I know another man you've spoken to recently was um, Josh Varese, and he's obviously another collarbone victim. So we got timelines on him, mate, and when we expect him to return because it's always good to see the young riders who make good progress back out there, mate, doing their thing. Yeah, Josh is, Josh is unfortunate there. He he just sort of had that injury. He had a concussion at the end of Supercross, got everything all back together and going really well into the outdoors. And then, yeah, round three, he's had a collarbone fracture, so he's had surgery that week after the after Thunder Valley. Um, so he will be about at least four weeks from now before he could be back. But again, the collarbone, if everything goes okay, it's purely down to the pain, the, your pain tolerance. If you can take that pain, you can ride because it's technically structurally sound because it's screwed back together with the plate. It's still potential. It's still actually broken in a you know a clear definition of the bone being healed, but. He could actually ride with it if he wanted to earlier, just whether he did, you know, what value he puts on those rounds and being there or not. So yeah, he should be, I would expect four weeks from now. Yep. And obviously moving on to MXGP, we had the massive um, hurling's neck injury, the fractured C5. 
And there's an interesting link you were pointing out between that Jason Anderson injury, mate. Um, yeah, it was terrible to see these things happen. And you can see him riding around, um, you know, the injured warrior, mate, just get trying to pick up a point at the end of that round where it's just severe agony and discomfort, mate. So do you think the two weeks is a good estimate and we'll see him back at Lockett? Or do you think he might need a little bit longer, like obviously Jason's needing? Well, yeah, look, that's what we've, we've talked about this a little before, just to try to link these together because they are very similar in the sense that they're the same level of the vertebrae. So Jason Anderson had a C5, C6. So he actually had two vertebrae included and they were fractures. Hurling's with that C5 fracture. Now let's just clear something up here too. Cracked, fracture, broken. It's all the same thing. It's the bones in two pieces, right? Don't don't confuse it. Don't don't think that you're being clever and saying it's only cracked or it's only fracked. They're all the same damn thing. I hate it when people do that. They tell me, oh, it's just cracked. No, mate. It's the same thing, right? It's a fracture. It's a break. It's, it's two pieces, right? It should be one. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So, but yeah, look, Hurling's one, obviously it was amazing to see him push through that and get that one point. That's again, we'd go back to that comments about these guys and their pain tolerances and able to work through that because they're just dying to race. But yeah, Jason Anderson has been off the bike now. He only got back on last week. He was off the bike for seven weeks. If Hurling's is going to come back in two weeks, I'd be very surprised, but why would I be, why would I not be surprised if that's the case? It depends on what part he's actually broken in the vertebrae. And this is where the differences might be. You can break a vertebrae in so many different positions and what actually then impacts you or not impacts you can be very, very different. There's obviously the main body of the, of the vertebrae that can break. That's more of a problem. And that's where you then have the ones where they end up with a piece that breaks off and, you know, impacts the spinal cord and that's, you know, really terrible injury. But then there's also these other bits. There's these wings that stick out the side. There's one that sticks out the back. There's the, so the wings that stick out the side, your transverse processes, and the one that sticks out the back, your spinous process. They attach to the muscles, yes, and, and, and help with movement, like the anchor point for the movement to occur from. But they're not always that bad. And so if he had maybe just a little break in one of those, he might be able to be just, again, pain tolerance, get an injection, Away he goes, but it's a risk you take. It depends on where that fracture actually is. Yeah, it's, we'll definitely watch this space with interest, mate, because there's sort of a lot of these injuries, it's sort of just unknown, isn't it? Just how the progress is and the severity of it. So it'll be interesting because obviously he's an animal and he'll want to come back probably now, you know, but he's, you know, just got to do the processes and do the time at this point. And um, yeah, another guy that had another MXGP title contender that's, um, that's going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, Maxime Renault fractured that right foot in um, Spain. Just wasn't necessarily a crash, just sticking it out. And obviously the force through it's done it. But um, it was interesting after that, I believe Hurlings, who's also done that injury, was just giving him a few um, his thoughts on how his best approach to take the treatment would be. So kind of a cool one that, that Jeff took the time out to do that and just sort of console him and sort of tell him which path to take. But that's a big one, isn't it, mate? And another, another one that's plenty of time off. It is. And I think Hurling's obviously having a fair bit of personal experience with injuries over the years. And and I think he might be a little bitter. If you actually got the chance to ask him, I think he might be a bit bitter about how that foot injury went because it was it was yeah. problematic, right? Like it didn't mm. heal. It, the surgeries didn't go well. He's had, I think, maybe three goes at that repair. So it didn't go very well. And obviously he knows who, you know, he's changed specialist, got better work done. He knows who and what not to do. So nice that he can pass that information along but yeah foot injuries and significant foot injuries where you break multiple um, metatarsals or even just the tarsal bones or even if you get into that heel 
calcaneus, all of those things require all the pressure that your body exerts to just stand up all goes through there. And so you then stand to stand on a moto on a platform that's, you know, 60, 70 mil wide foot peg and hit bumps, hit whoops, hit jumps. There's so much force that goes through that foot. It has to be stable. And yeah, so that's where these ones, they tend to take a long time from the comeback from, and it's worse. It's worse in like, you know, soccer or football because they they've got to you know do cut movements and kick balls and all that sort of stuff. But this is not too far off that from a foot peg aspect. Yeah. And that interesting comparison is obviously, obviously less severe injury, but you know, the young American Jack Chambers who's headed over to race MX2, um, obviously broken ankle, but we're saying hoping to be back in Lockett in a few weeks. Um, obviously once again, the nuances and the sort of intricacies of these injuries made it's fine margins between having a season and a few weeks, isn't it? Just depending on where it is. It really is because like if for Jack, if it's just the tip of his fibula, which for anyone listening, it's as you, that bump on the outside of your ankle, that's the tip of your fibula that we talk about. And in lots of cases, they can, the fibula is not a weight bearing bone, right? So it's not actually critical in that. Yeah. If you tilt your, your, your inside of your instep of your foot inwards, it pushes onto that because the, the way the mechanism of the foot works, it will push it out, but it's just pain at that point, right? It's not actually taking the load. So you can actually get around it. And that's why lots of those injuries, they just end up in a moon boot for a couple of weeks, sort of four weeks and away they go. But if they break the other side off the tibia, the inside bump, um, or they break into the foot more in, and we talk that calcaneus, the talus, those things are then season enders. So you can get really lucky with an injury and you can get absolute crap luck as well. So it can be very different story with a couple of millimeters here or there. Yeah. On the topic of crap luck, uh, Paul's Jonas is definitely not having anything go his way this season, mate. Um, you know, the latest one was a torn thumb ligament, which as you would know, mate, we've discussed it before. The thumbs are just an absolute nightmare, aren't they? They're so crucial. They seem like they're so minor, but for riding bikes and to performing where these guys need to be and know they need to be to get any decent results, it's uh, it must be so frustrating, the process of healing, isn't it? Yeah, the thumbs, they, they suck, to be honest. It's just, that's our contact point. You know, we talk about the feet just before, and, it, and it's the hands. They're the two contact points for the bike, and obviously the most load going through all of those things. But then it's also your feel, how you, how you get that response back from the tire, the fork, um, you know, to be able to corner, to be able to get the bike to do what you want it to do and go where you want it to go. So, yeah, the the thumb ligament injuries, those the old skiers thumb injury where the thumb just gets ripped back, they suck um they're not fun but yeah they they can be repaired easily like depending on how bad the 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 tear is they they can get the little screw put back in there to put it you know hold it together but it just doesn't ever feel right after that too like it's always a weak point so it's it's an unfortunate thing to have happen yeah obviously another man with a thumb was Aussie Mitch Evans um he's good to see him back sort of you know where he belongs now but it was a long process wasn't it mate it just takes time and to get that feeling well, that's that 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 recovery point that we talk about here. Like, it, it, what's reasonable for what injury is very variable. But the hand obviously is an important contact point, and if you don't have the strength in it, you you're not safe really, and you're going to risk another injury. And yeah, like for Mitch Evans, it it's taken ages, and and even then, his might have been complicated by the fact that he's had all these other yeah. wrist and hand issues in these seasons before. But yeah. It's just the it's just how that long that injury takes to to get back so you can actually ride properly. Yeah, it's a rough one and another standing construct. Um, Jonas's teammate Brian Bogus dislocated the shoulder. Um, should be right for Lockett, we'd imagine. 
from what the team's saying. Yeah, it goes into that hip discussion as well. Like if the, if the shoulder comes out clean and the shoulder isn't as bad as the hip, like it still takes a bit of force, but unfortunately these, these chicken wings that stick out the side, you know, they tend to pop out all the time for moto guys. Um, but yeah, if it came out clean and went back in quickly and easily, yeah, two weeks and he can be good to go. Um, or even less, look at Grant Harlan in the MAMA Supercross. He had it one week rode the next week and got his best result. So it can be done. It just, again, whether there was other labral damage, whether there was any muscle tears, um, any breaks as such to the cup area of that shoulder, you don't know. Um, but if it just went out and came in clean, yeah, he could be back really quickly. Yeah. Now that's sort of, we've just sort of given a rundown of the the main injuries in sort of America and in MXGP, mate. So cheers for your insights on that. Is there any other ones that we've uh, overlooked or you think that, that need a mention? No, that's sort of the main things that's happening at the moment. And, and obviously each week they just keep changing. So there's plenty to add to that list. I'm sure if we did this next week, there'd be still just as many things to cover. So yeah, absolutely, mate. And obviously, we got uh, one of our listeners popped a question that they'd like you to sort of give some explanations on protective equipment, obviously such an integral part of motocross. Um, obviously, there's a lot of great modern advancements that have gone on, research, development to make these products so good. And, you know, there's some are better than others still, aren't they, mate? So sort of your thoughts on just everything from point out a few ones, because obviously you mightn't have the time of the day to go through all of them, just things like neck braces, boots, knee braces, chest protectors, goggles, just all these things that have to be in the armory and the kit. You know, some are optional, some aren't, but um, any recommendations, things you really need to be prioritizing and yeah, just what, what the people should and shouldn't avoid, mate? The short answer in all this is if you can afford it, <laughs> you'd have it. Um, and obviously in terms of things like your head and your helmet, pay the extra money because the, the, those higher priced items tend to have, and not exactly true, but they tend to have the better tech to it. They've had the R and D they've had all the crash tests to them, you know, in the, in the lab to get the numbers about the rotational forces and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the, in the helmet side of things, the money usually works out for the better, um, unfortunately, but it still can be a one-use item because if you crash that day, you should be throwing that thing away as well. Um, doesn't matter that you spend a thousand bucks or more on on that helmet. If you crashed once straight on your head, just get rid of it. And that's the other thing: you need to know when to replace these things. So it it's important to not just hang on to it because it's your favorite lucky color helmet, you know, or you know knee brace or whatever if it's had a few impacts or a few years under its belt they're not quite the same get them either you know knee braces these days like ctis you can get them rebuilt which is awesome so they can actually you know um, freshen them up and keep them in good order but lots of other things are, are disposable items but if you get into if you get into some of the other aspects of it like chest protectors um, you know, knee braces, wrist braces, you know, anyone out there using elbow guards and stuff, which not many of the pros, I don't think any of the pros use those sorts of things like the elbow guards anymore, but your average rider, you should look into these things, but they all need to fit you and be adjusted correctly and in the right position. The amount of times that you'll see something's labeled a right versus a left, and then they're on the wrong person's side because they didn't realize that they were a right and a left that can be the difference between you getting injured and not because it's actually not covering or working in the right aspect of its design. So yeah, make sure it fits one and first and foremost, and that you get it in the right position too. Yeah. And obviously one that sort of divides opinion, mate, neck braces. What's your take on them? Yeah, look, I don't wear one. Um, 
I used to when I first came out because I was part of the rage. Everyone seemed to 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 do it, and that was before I sort of did a bit a bit more in this medical field and and understood things from the physio point of view. But yeah, I don't, I don't wear them anymore. I, I found that there's there's too many different variables that go into them, and the fact that they don't, I always found that they never fit correctly. And like I just said before, make sure your gear fits correctly and it stays in the position it's supposed to be in whilst you're crashing. Because I never, I always found that I the 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 neck braces when they're on me, I'm a bit of a thinner guy. They would always bounce around, and that no matter whether you strap them on, wore the elastics with them, they never seem to stay in that spot. So I always figured if when I'm crashing, if I'm going flying upside down, how's that thing sliding up off my body? Mm. When I then impact, does it do what it's supposed to do? Probably not. So I, I decided that it wasn't worth worth it from that aspect. And now probably some neck brace guy will probably you know jump all over those comments, but. Good luck with it. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, mate. It's certainly an interesting one. And um, just to sort of close it out, um, just we'll talk a little bit about the racing on the weekend. Obviously, us being Aussies, mate, uh, Jet Lawrence Masterclass had to do it a little bit harder this week with obviously Kenny Roxon actually led more laps than him, I believe, which was something a bit different, mate. But yeah, he's still in a league of his own. Poetry in motion, watching him ride, isn't it, mate? And it's, and his brother too, sort of doing it. He's like got the framework, the pattern lined up. Good second motos, tough first motos at the moment, but he's still getting the job done, isn't he? Yeah, look, as as Aussie fans in the a- watching the AMA, we can just sort of sit back and smoke a cigar at this point. Like, it's uh, <laughs> it's just so easy to watch. Like, why wouldn't you be watching it if you're an Aussie fan? You'd be loving it. But yeah, you're right. Jet is just so smooth, and the amount of times I'm watching his technique and think, geez, he just did that that nobody else is doing, um, and with effortless. Like, he hmm. literally looks like he's just cruising about. You know, looking at the looking at the sides of the track, probably waving to the fans at some points. I bet there's probably something he's just out the back. You know, hello, um, but yeah, he's just he's just on another level. But everyone's been sort of talking about the fact that everybody's out. You know, Sexton's out, Tomac's out, Barsh is out, Webb's underdone, um, Plessinger potentially underdone, but coming around. The fact that Kenny dropped back into the series and like was able to do exactly what Kenny would do in terms of run at the front of the pack, run away from him at some points, and Jet still ran him down, I kind of start to think that Jet's just that good. Um, mm. It's kind of scary, really. But then, yeah, if you go to Hunter, he's got the second motos dialed, and consistency in that 250 class is key. And you can tell that he's doing so well because he's been able to ride through the pack when he's had those bad starts. And he got two on the weekend. If you notice at high point, he, both starts, he got stuck behind other people that had crashed, and it was purely nothing he could do um and he still came through the pack on both of those cases so that consistency is what's going to win that title in the 250 because everyone seemed to be having a good moto here and there but they're then having an absolute shocker for the next five so you know it's yeah it's it's not it's not as easy as it looks but they're definitely making it look that way and he's obviously not physically 100 percent either he's obviously suffering a bit of a knock um which he's been managing really well and it's pretty impressive just what he's done considering that isn't it yeah, it was a, believed to be a bit of a rib issue. So you can have lots of different aspects with those ribs, but they are ten, generally painful. Like whether it's the broken rib, whether it's the cartilage in between, um, they all hurt. And every time you expand your chest, they hurt. And so he would have been going through that a lot at pile of that first round. By now, I would suspect that that's all gone uh, and he's okay, which is pretty clear in terms of how he looks and stuff on the bike at the moment. He looks fine. But yeah, to come through those early rounds the way he did, nice work. You know, <laughs> yeah. he just pushed, pushed through it and and got the job done. 
Yeah, just back to Jed, obviously, I think Ken Roxon had like a 10-second gap on him in that second one. And, they, you know, not many people are closing that in in those conditions too because they that looked just absolutely gnarly, that track. Like it was just that mix between mud and dry in the second one and then the concrete sections really hard. Um, yeah, just doing what those guys did in those big off cameras, it was pretty impressive, mate. And it was great to see AC get back up there too, wasn't it, mate? It obviously being not going how he likes the season. He's been dealing with his own things. Um, the stem cell stuff, that's something that I'd like to talk to you about too. And just good to see because, you know, a good a good AC is good for the sport, isn't it, mate? It is. I, I like AC's personality and how he's so open with most of this stuff. Um, and he talks really intelligently about this as well. When he when you hear his podcast and when he's been on the TV coverage, when he's been out injured, he has a different understanding of the sport. And yeah, it's awesome to see him back in it because you're right, it makes the sport elevate because he's a part of it. And like that podium celebration with, you know, with him and Kenny and and um and Jet there on the weekend, they're all love and life you know so it's it makes it more for the fans which is awesome but yeah he's had had a rough road and that stem cell side of things is an interesting one in itself in the fact of whether it's actually going to be effective did they hit the right spots to put the cells into sounds that it sounds painful i've never never seen it or had anyone you know close enough that i've actually been able to ask the question too and i'm planning to chat to ac about that this weekend at Redbud. but it sounds painful when it's coming out of you um so yeah it doesn't sound like a lot of fun and it takes a few months for it to actually be effective so whether it works or not whether it's just purely natural recovery time that he's seeing his progress is what's happening now you don't know. You won't really know for sure. But the fact he's doing better, that that makes it all good. So who cares? Yeah, good to see him out there, mate. And just sort of wrap up the 450s. Brandis Webb and Marchbanks, Masterpool, Plessinger. It's a good little group behind them. I mean, obviously, you can add Harlan and Drake to this and, and Pap, the Frenchman. It's it's cool to see some of these different guys up there, isn't it, mate? And, you know, some of these guys on, I guess you could say, private teams or privateers set up, battling with the factory guys this year, mate, especially Masterpool. Yeah, and the Wildcat Racing Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a bit, that's an awesome team name. You know, it's just it's been standing out there, obviously. And those guys did really well at those first two rounds, and then presented that Wildcat name to everybody because of that. So, yeah, no, look, it's the series has had obviously all the injuries, but it's awesome to see these other names come to the front and then get coverage themselves and just create other stories for us. So it's still interesting. As much as people say, oh, it's boring, the same guys are winning. The sport's never boring. There's so much happening. It's just you've got to find the interest points to actually be paying attention to. If you're just that sort of you know three-quarter fan, you will think it's boring. But if you dive into the rest of it and become a full-on fan, you, you'll find stuff that makes this sport super cool the whole way through. And, yeah, look, who was Roman Pap, really? Yeah, he was like struggling in French championships. You hear Le Big saying, you know, it's pretty wild, isn't it? And he's obviously taken the opportunity with both hands, mate, to come and battle around the top 10, isn't it? Exactly. Like, you know, just out of nowhere, this guy that you've probably never heard of is getting a top 10 result. And you're like, right, well, we find him somewhere in the results <laughs> anywhere else? Like, you know, anywhere in the world? No, surely not. But yes, it, it's awesome. But But that's what this series can bring at this point in time. So yeah, I'm surprised I wouldn't, I'm surprised there hasn't been a few other people randoms sort of turn up try, trying their luck at this point in time with the way the season's been, but maybe there's some coming soon. Well, I was speaking to a couple of the German guys, um, you know, Spees and Cock that race MXGP, but their teams aren't going to Indonesia and they were 
pretty keen to go and test themselves out if they if they they could broker a deal or something fell into place. Obviously, they raced last weekend, but um, be pretty cool to see those guys because they they'd back themselves together. You know, top fives, top sevens for sure, absolutely. But uh, yeah, the more the better, mate. I reckon more of the Europeans and you know we got a Japanese with Shimoda and. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. The Aussies are holding their own. So the, the Americans are kind of struggling to get a look in at the moment a little bit, aren't they, mate? Well, definitely now that like, you know, Justin Cooper's gone out, that was their sort of their main 250 guy. Obviously, Hayden Deegan's in there doing reasonably well, but he's probably still going to have those sort of rookie moments that don't <clears throat> always work out well for him. So, yeah, the, the American guys aren't prominent at the moment, which is weird considering it's an American series. Yeah, absolutely. And just your thoughts on someone like RJ Hampshire. Do you reckon he can challenge Hunter? It just doesn't seem likely consistency is going to be there in the moments. He just has too many. But when he's on, he's on, isn't he? He's a, he's a force yeah. to be reckoned with. Yeah, RJ's going to win races. It's just a matter of how many does he fall off in, it seems like. And even when he fell off in the race, he's, he, he he won and then fell, like, fell off leading, fell off one. Like, yeah, he, he's just so inconsistent with... The effort's there. It's just he's got to figure figure a bunch of stuff out. It seems because it's still going on, and he's been he's been pro for oh, six, seven years, whatever it is now. Yeah. So, yeah, he needs to work something out. But he he should be able to challenge Hunter. He can challenge Hunter. He just got to figure out the rest of the process. Yeah, he's obviously massive talent. Happier with the bike this year. Probably having his best year as a pro. Like the progress is tangible, mate. It's just it's so hard to piece it all together and. Someone else that's finding that out, Shimoda, obviously we expected him to be legitimately challenging. Obviously he's coming off his own injury, but um, yeah, just the, the, the ups and downs and the bad luck. And there's just no one really sort of putting their case together, is there, to really give him a run for their money. Like it's cool seeing guys like Heimitz and DeFrancesco, Swole, Boland, and even Kitchen having like singular motos where they can really put their foot down. But yeah, no one can match his consistency, can they? No, that's what I said before. Like it's he, it's the consistency is going to win that 250 series. And yeah, you're right. All those guys have had good motos, but you know, inconsistently more than than the good ones. So, but Shimoda is an interesting one. I I mentioned this on some of my stuff before that I feel like him and maybe even Kitchen, with their potential, the talk of their team switching at the end of this year, whether there's just a bit of a you know a psychological side of thing in the back of the mind, they're leaving that team that little bit of a push that they would normally have to just drive to win might just be checked out a little bit. And maybe that's why he's not at the pointy end. Like he's, he's there and he's progressing, but he's not in that top three as often as you would have thought based on what he did last year. But there is also that injury that he came off of from early in Supercross, but all that should be well in the past by now. Like it's been a number of weeks. He rode many Supercross races. He should be well and truly fit and healthy so yeah i just wonder if there's just that little bit of a i'm switching teams let's just get to the end of this year and we'll worry about it next year sort of mentality i don't, I don't yeah. know maybe i'm wrong but that's what i'm thinking go yeah, the clean slate mate and um obviously with wsx starting up soon mate uh it's gonna be pretty exciting obviously they did that landmark deal for roxon on three years and it's pretty cool that he still came out and raced and probably will come out and race some more outdoors which is just always good for everyone because kenny's just a legend isn't he mate but um how excited are you about WSX? Uh, I reckon it's pretty cool, mate. There's, there's, you know, there's only real positives that can come out of it. Obviously, people are always going to be quite negative towards it, and it's sort of taken the limelight off certain things. And you know, they openly admit Adam and that that the first season had its problems, and they're doing everything they can to fix that. But 
I reckon they deserve immense credit for what they're doing, growing it from two to six rounds, taking the sport around the world, raising the profile of the series, the riders, the teams, and just sort of giving it to the fans where it's often we don't get to see a lot of this high-level stuff or someone like Ken Roxon or Dean Wilson or Brayton or Anstey, you know. It's really it's a really quality field, quality riders, Colt Nichols as well. Um, guys like this, opportunities for mechanics. Do you think it's uh, only positive from your end, mate? Obviously, you went to the one in Australia last year, but um, I think it should be pretty exciting, mate. And just doing the work they do with the scheduling, it must be an absolute nightmare to fit all these things around different events, concerts, you know, soccer games in England, the, you know, the timings. It's not easy, mate. So it's a logistical nightmare. And I'd hate to think what they've gone through to make it happen, but it, let's hope it goes off with a bang. Yeah, look, I, I love the fact that they're doing it and I don't envy the work that they're putting into it because it must be a lot of different difficulties to get all those venues in the six different countries all lined up. Like you talk about like using the venues, like it's a stadium that is used for multi-purposes. And obviously in the States, when they do their AMA Supercross, they're in the off season for everything. So the venue is sitting there generally empty. So they don't have those sort of concerns. Whereas across the world, as they're going these six different places now, they've got six different countries' own activities in that stadium that they've got to work around. So that would be a challenge in itself. But no, look, generally as the series being there and having these rides for riders, um, it's only positive. I love it. I love the fact that they're there, that you're seeing these guys on different bikes, different machinery, you know, different colors, numbers, because they're all going to have different numbers this year. If you've seen the Moto Concept guys, they've all got what single digit numbers that they've earned from the series before why not like as a moto fan more racing more racing please yeah it's certainly good for us mate um being able to cover it as well and how many rounds do you reckon you'll get to this year mate just stick to the aussie one probably oh look i'm definitely booked in for melbourne i'd love to when they announced that singapore one i was like oh that sounds that looks really cool to go to but yeah look definitely be at melbourne uh we'll see how we go with the rest of them see whether see whether they all end up being in the same places that you know they say so far you never know how a schedule goes but um no look definitely be at melbourne and i can't wait to be there i've already talked to a couple of guys about the season opener and they're all excited they're all training hard so yeah it's going to be an awesome season so have you got any early sort of title picks, mate? Sort of Kenny and Max Anstey looming pretty strong, aren't they? They are. The The difference with this, bud, is that it's not just around the 20-minute the ability, you know, because the season, these races are all that back-to-back, what is it, 6, 6, and 8 or something, and an mm. 8, 8, 12-minute race or lap, sorry. Um, so it just creates so much uncertainty in, in the ability. I still like the fact that Kenny probably gets it done in the, in the, in the WSX class, but that SX2 class mm. throw, throw a bunch of names in a hat and just throw them on the floor and see which one you can actually read because who knows, like there's so many good guys in that class and that one of them could fall off one moto, take somebody out in the other moto in the first corner. Like, like what we saw in the last year with the two rounds, like McElrath came out on top, but, he didn't really have a fantastic two rounds. Like it was just the fact that he surely she had some consistency across them, whereas everybody else was up and down. So, but Anstey does look pretty good. Like he was impressive in our Australian Supercross last year, even more so in the AMAs this year. Um, so yeah, he would be high on the lap list for us. Yeah, mate. And just one more before we sort of close it out, or a couple more. Um, just with the motocross of nations for Australia, obviously with America having so many injury problems. Um. Definitely exciting times, mate. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably chat to you before that, but uh, we've got to have a sort of a, a little bit of a team chat about it. Obviously, you've got the Lawrence boys locked in, assuming all goes well. And 
Mitch Evans would probably be the, the number one choice if he's well. But if something doesn't happen with any of the guys, what would you, do you think that would be the best options? Um, Ferris is absolutely tearing it up. you got guys like Tanty and, and Cloud as well, holding their own Webster beat. And there's a lot of depth in Australian motocross, mate. And even if you wanted to put Hunter on a 450, because that's obviously going to be happening very soon anyway, could you put someone like Crawford and, and Todd into that 250 class? Because they're just absolutely on fire at the moment, mate. Uh, what are your thoughts on any of that, mate? And uh, Just exciting in general, isn't it? There's so much talent. Oh, it is. It's, it's the fact that you can list that many names and say that they're all valuable options for us as, as Team Australia is awesome. Normally, we're lucky to find three guys that you really want to think can compete. Like, you know, this is this is an amazing time for us at, at this stage for a, for a Team Australia. Yes, obviously, those the two Lawrence boys and, and Mitch Evans should pick themselves if they're fit. But we've got such a long time till then and whether their contracts will allow and all that sort of, you know, crazy stuff that happens in the background might prevent one of them or two of them from being there. But yeah, if it's that MX2 spot, I don't mind Wilson Todd. I was going to say Todd Waters, but wrong Todd. Uh, <laughs> Wilson Todd in there um, for that spot, just from his past experiences being over, you know, he's done a few races in Europe as well. So I wouldn't mind seeing him there. But yeah, like Ferris is a good pick. You know, Beaton's a great pick. Any of them would be great to put in there, but it's just nice to be able to have multiple names to pick from, really, as an Aussie fan. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, mate, but I definitely probably wouldn't want to be the one picking the team because, you know, there's just so many guys are going to miss out, mate, and it's just you know, the way it goes. But it's going to be such a great event. I probably won't be able to get there, to be honest, but I don't know if you'll be making the trip, mate. But um, it would be America, Australia, obviously France, Spain, Italy, Germany, Great Britain, all so many solid teams, even Estonia and Latvia, plenty of talent coming out of places like that, mate. But um, yeah, you reckon you'll make it? And do you reckon we've got a pretty good shot? Probably our best shot ever of winning, I'd say, wouldn't you? I would say it's our best shot. And, and you know, if we can't get one of these things done here soon you, with these with the Lawrence boys involved, we, we might just quit, you know, like, <laughs> got to happen, surely, like... Mind you, we had like teams with what McFarlane, Byrne, and and Reed yeah. get it done. You know, Metcalf, and, and man, we couldn't get that done. But surely this one's got to work. Like we've got Lawrence winning, winning one class, another Lawrence winning another class, and we've got the high quality of Mitch Evans and that pace that he can show at different points. Like surely we can get five good motos out of these boys and get the win. But you just never know because it's such a crazy event and something can go wrong in a qualifying race, can't it? But yeah, yeah. look, it looks good right now. Let's hope for at least the podium, but yeah, we should be winning, surely. Are you, are you hoping to be there, mate, or you might have to give it a miss? No, nah, look, that one's not going to be on the cards this year. It's too far away, but surely, <laughs> surely we can get there at some point in the near future, particularly if the Aussie boys are still doing so well. You're going to have to be a part of one of these as a, you know, this much of an Aussie fan. We're going to have to be there to to be a yeah. part of the celebrations. Look at the American ones last year. All the American fans going nuts. Wouldn't it be cool to be a part of that in a team green gold, you know? Yeah, especially in France too, where it'll be absolutely wild, mate. That's for sure. The chainsaws, the flares, the, the bonfires, it'll be mental. Yeah. I can only imagine what it'd be like to be standing there in that sort of nuts crowd, you know. Yeah. People all just, you know doing the, the national flags carrying everywhere and yeah it must be amazing so yeah it's on the bucket list for sure 
Absolutely, mate. And um, just sort of any final thoughts for you, mate, before we wrap it up? Um, I'd like to thank you, obviously, for taking the time to, to chat to me, mate. It's been another mega chat. Really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, sort of final thoughts and uh, where to follow you, buy your merch and uh, anyone you want to thank. No, look, I just thank you, Ed, man, for having us on the MX Vice channels. It's awesome to be no part worries, of mate. In time. And, you know, hopefully we can get some more feedback about the 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 podcast today and and you know get get some more injury content coming here on on mx vice which would be awesome um and then yeah no like i said before just check out always moto search it on pretty much anything and you'll find us somewhere um and yeah we've got we've got our t-shirts available to try and support what we do here um and you can always uh email us at info at alwaysmoto.com to um get a t-shirt but yeah no look um just there'll be another injury next week so we'll talk about something at some point soon unfortunately but it's just how it is in moto but but no we'll uh we'll be back on mx vice soon hopefully yeah mate absolutely and uh yeah keep up the good work on um your always moto stuff uh for all the fans i'd encourage you to go check it out and um yeah check out mx vice too uh, trying to bring all the content to the people aren't we mate just to wrap it up we'd like to thank fly racing monster energy box parts europe scott bell helmets acherbys as3 performance kawasaki uk KTM UK and obviously Even Strokes for all their incredible support. As without them, there is no us. So thanks again, David, mate. All the best and uh, enjoy that trip to Red Bud and we'll speak soon. Yeah, no, awesome. So thanks, Ed. See you, mate.